This is Top Floor Episode 2. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash two. Welcome to Top Floor with Susan Berry. This weekly podcast ride up to the top floor features tangible tips and excellent stories from the experts and characters who elevate hospitality. And now, your host and elevator operator, Susan Berry. Welcome to the show. This week, we're riding up to the top floor with Kate Berta, CEO and founder of Kate Berta and Company. It is my great pleasure to have you here, Kate. I know that your career spans positions in hotel companies and both residential and commercial real estate. And you focus on sales, marketing, and all things top-line revenue. Kate founded her company in 2015 with the purpose of helping hotel companies and other businesses develop integrated top-line revenue strategy. She's here to talk with us today about how unifying your hotel's financial and commercial strategies can improve revenue performance. I'm so happy that you're here, but I have to tell you that we have an emergency call button that I need to answer. Do you want to help me out with this question? Oh, I'd love it. Okay. So on the emergency call button, Carlo asks us, our hotel is an historic building. And as a result, the rooms are a little on the small size. How do we compete with other hotels with larger rooms without coming out and saying our rooms are small? Oh, you know what? I love Carl's question. And I think this is going to kind of permeate through our, our conversation, Susan. You know, so often we think about our product versus the customer. And we think about how we talk about our room or our lobby. And at the end of the day, it's about the customer and what they care about and what's important to them. So, you know what? They're not staying next door. They're staying with you. And, and so I could see where maybe his core customer wants to have a really cozy and intimate experience that, you know, maybe a branded hotel can't give them. So there's something unique about Carl's hotel from the get-go that he needs to share. That is excellent advice. What was your first job in hospitality? Oh, my first job was in Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota at the Marriott, and it was at the front desk. So how did you get from being a front desk agent to an entrepreneur and business owner in hospitality? You know, I'm just curious about other people's businesses and their model. And what I loved about hospitality, and I said this from the very beginning, was I thought we were like lawyers. We got to understand all different types of industries and what companies do. We got to really see the inside of things that were really personal, whether that's a company, an organization, or even a family reunion. And I couldn't think of another industry that gets to do that. I know you spent a lot of your career in hotels, but have also worked in both commercial and residential real estate. How did the hospitality and hotel experience translate to that? You know, it's so funny because it 
directly translates to it, particularly, you know, when you're in, within looking at sales, marketing, and revenue management. Now, outside the industry, a lot of times we call revenue management price modeling or pricing systems and things like that. Most of my focus is in hospitality and, and that space and assets, you know, single family homes, multifamily homes, smart cities, DMOs, and so forth. But at the end of the day, we are looking at how do we engage with customers differently to optimize revenue. If you peel away the words, <laughs> we're all trying to do the same thing. Now, operations is a little bit more specific to the actual operations of it, both in sales and marketing and price modeling and revenue management. Our focus should be our customer. And so over time, we're seeing us pulling away from a product-driven sale, a product-driven marketing campaign, and even pricing what we'd like to call beyond-the-box pricing, where we're looking at the experience versus pricing a hotel room or pricing a banquet hall or whatever it may be. So what was the inflection point that led you to found your own company? Oh, yeah. You know, it was always a question of when versus if. And I was blessed to work with some really amazing people. And for me, it was always collecting information, collecting experiences, collecting knowledge to prepare me for this. Because what was really in my heart was how do I help others to become bigger, better, faster, stronger? And I wanted to be able to apply that to many different organizations, many different teams, many different individuals. And so it was a perfect next step for me. I think also my personality, I'm a fixer. <laughs> Much like you, Susan, right? I'm, I'm a fixer. And, and Yes, the and, listeners can't hear me nodding vigorously right now, but I definitely am. <laughs> yeah, I'm a fixer. And, and so I would work with organizations and we would transform and elevate and we would do all this kind of thing. And then I'd be like, I wasn't the maintenance person. I'm about transformation and challenging the status quo. And once I fixed something, I was like, okay, next. I think that's why I liked opening hotels so much. And when I worked on property, because it's the same thing. It's sort of like a project with a start and a finish. And then somebody else can run the hotel. I'll move on to the next opening. Yeah. How has the mission of your business or your company changed over the years that you've been doing this? Yeah, uh, this is a great question because you know I kind of started in the sales. How do we engage with customers within sales, sales methodology? And what I've seen, and here's kind of the, I don't want to say the myth, but here's where I find organizations can really create impact or accelerate revenue is I saw that there was this disconnect between what we were doing from a financial or a budget performance standpoint. And if that was happening on the left side or on the east side, on the west side or on the right side, we were busy doing a lot of activities or work or initiatives that sometimes didn't even cascade off of that future vision. And I love finance. I'm, I'm one of those geeks that have kind of that marketing mind with that finance, I thought, my goodness, there's this gap between what we saw as financial vision and how we executed it. 
I love our industry, but at its core, we're very operational minded. And, and so what I see a lot of times within sales and marketing and revenue management it's very activity driven. So if Susan comes and I can say how busy I've been or here's my you know action plan, but what I saw was this gap between our action plan and really where we were trying to go. And there's a line by Shakespeare and Macbeth that says, life is a tale told by idiots full of sound and fury that signify nothing. <laughs> no, I'm not calling us idiots, but so many, <laughs> so many times... We get caught up in that fervor activity and then it becomes activity fatigue when we really should be shifting our thinking towards impact versus output. So there you go. Somebody actually quoted Shakespeare on your podcast. I I love it. It's fantastic. This leads me to what I think is a pretty hot topic in our business right now, which is the idea of commercial strategy. So... Lots of people, including me, have embraced the idea of a unified approach between sales, marketing, and revenue management to drive top line. What do you think are some of the benefits of having a single discipline, like calling it commercial strategy or whatever you want to call it, that is devoted to driving hotel top line? Absolutely. And it was funny. I used to call it the revenue trifecta of sales, marketing, and revenue management. Well, all of us at one time have experienced you know, silos and, and the frustration of silos. We work with teams in how do we... I don't Collaborate isn't good enough for us. How do we integrate? And not necessarily... How do we integrate? And so it's kind of, you know, everybody knows what everybody's doing. That That's wonderful. But now let's take it to the next level of revenue performance of how do we integrate around the customer journey? And so we take a look at, first of all, our program Ignite really takes a look at all of our segments and says, which of these segments are our most valuable, meaning those that we can optimize and those that create the most profit for us. And we take a look at those segments and those personas and say, let's map out the customer journey from the point of inspiration to the repeat buy. So that encapsulates not only how we engage with them in marketing, but sales, pricing, how our digital storefront looks, and as well as the overall customer experience. Because here's what we've seen is so many times it's been this thinking of, you know, push, pull, price. We don't see it as that linear experience anymore. What we look at is what is that customer journey and who should engage? Should it be sales first? Should it be marketing? Who engages along that line to really optimize how the customer feels about the product? And and, and the derivative of that, this is what's fun, is it almost gets us, if we were to do this correctly, what we see time and time again is we own mindshare versus just owning market share. If I show up within marketing and sales and pricing at the point of sale, it becomes a commoditized product and price-driven sale. If I start showing up at the point of inspiration, I can own their mindset and I can become a true partner where if I own mindset, I know I'm going to get market share and I'm also going to get share of wallet. Interesting. Can you say a little bit more about push, pull, and price. 
and how you see that being different with a unified commercial strategy discipline versus looking at things as sales, marketing, and revenue separately. Yeah. At the point of your most valuable customer, at the point of inspiration, the time that they say, I have to go to a meeting or our company is strategizing something and we're going on this journey, or Shannon and Dane are getting married, that point of inspiration, if we were to map that out and then say, number one, what is going on in that customer journey? Two, what's happening in their mind? Or what what are they experiencing? What are they doing? And then three, how should we engage with them based upon where they're at? And then who should it be? Should it be sales or marketing or is it revenue management? And then what's the messaging? So rather than kind of having this, well, marketing goes first to get out the awareness and then sales talks to them afterwards, and then we're going to price it. That conversation is actually, it's not customer centric at all Mm -hmm. because it's something that, you know, I look at even sales processes and sales processes are more about us and less about the customer. So what this does for us is not only it makes us relevant and differentiated, it makes us customer-centric. Because so many times when we look at sales or marketing and pricing, nowhere in there is about the customer. (laughs) Yet we call ourselves, oh, we're very customer-centric or very Mm customer-focused. Our our business is all about service. When you're showing up talking about your stuff, it's kind of a really bad date. (laughs) If I was thinking to myself, oh my goodness, if we would go out with friends and all they did is talk about themselves, we wouldn't do it again. Yet, those are the same things we are doing within sales, marketing, and and revenue management in our campaigns of showing up talking about ourselves. Do you think there's a way to engage with a customer earlier in the journey? Earlier, even maybe before a specific point of inspiration. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I can even give an example. There was a resort that we were working with where their most valuable customer was a Hasidic Jewish community. And so rather than us kind of talking about our kosher kitchen and all of those amenities, we started again doing this customer journey work and said, wait a second, why are they choosing us? I mean, it's great that we're geographically, you know, within the footprint. It's great that we have a kosher kitchen. That's, but what is it that's actually happening? What's going on here? And what we found is we didn't even know the customer. Yes, they wanted to get away. Yes, they wanted to go to a resort, but they could have gone to any resort. So what we did is we started having in-depth conversations because we weren't sure. So rather than us showing up talking about our stuff and talking about the renovation and talk, we said, wait a second. Let's slow down to speed up and actually understand what's happening. And what we found out was this. By and large, it was Jewish couples and they were sent there to work on their marriage. Wow. Right. So they were there to get away to focus on each other. So then we started kind of exploring that and saying, okay, what's going on there? Where do they go if they're having trouble with their marriage or just even getting guidance on something that all of us would need guidance on in our marriage? Where do they go? It was the rabbi. And so all of a sudden, then we started orientating our conversations to the rabbi. And we had a value proposition for the rabbi saying, this is what we've learned is that 
a healthy congregation, a healthy temple starts with the power of the young generation. Here's how we think we can serve you and your congregation. And so what happened is the rabbis almost became a seller for us. And we mapped out, we were able to say, hey, listen, when a couple comes from your congregation, we can give them homework. You know, we can put the baskets together and have, you know, whatever thing that they're supposed to be working on. And so that took on a whole nother life of it. And because we were so customer centric, that base grew exponentially because we were actually customer focused rather than saying, here's all my stuff. Here's what we have. We have a great kitchen or we have a great restaurant. I think it's really interesting that your example, which was fascinating, by the way, did not include offering the rabbi a discount. No. Because it didn't have to. You matched up what that community needed with what you had to offer Presto changeo, you're their best friend. That's a really great example. So let me ask you this. How do you think that our industry has evolved away from having a single leader in sales, marketing, and revenue strategy to the point that now people are really fired up about having a single leader or a single discipline? What do you think happened... In almost that same time that you're speaking of, Susan, was the rise in importance of revenue management. The rise of it was apparent because we had markets were very big. It was a robust time. And so we could make some huge revenue optimization leaps by just having the right allocation of pricing and distribution channel management. We had a huge pop in efficacy, as well as in rate and occupancy and so forth, RevPAR. At that same time, revenue management tends to be more scientific. And so they have a shared language a lot of times with investors that there was a shared communication and they understood from an investor standpoint, an ownership standpoint, they understood the X's and O's of that science. So moving forward... And here's, I'm a big fan of commercial strategy and commercial excellence. Here's where I'm afraid of where we're going is revenue management is fantastic. In its clearest definition, it manages established demand. In today's world, when we have depleting demand or demand isn't as robust, there's two of those disciplines or two of those workhorses that really create demand, sales and marketing. And right now, what we're seeing is because it's it's been so long since we've needed that type of demand, our sales and marketing teams don't know how to do that. They're engaging with customers at the point of sale. And so I'm all about, you know, having that one kind of overarching leader to be able to get that integration around customer centricity to optimize revenues. My concern is that as I see a lot of these leaders coming forward, they're coming out of revenue management without the sales and marketing background. And there's a lot of work that needs to be done within our industry. How do we elevate the methodology, the thinking, the approach to be more customer-centric, differentiated, and scientific? Because marketing and sales is very scientific. It's not just you know ducks and bunnies. If you could wave a magic wand and transform a property-level commercial team, what would you change? Oh, this is going to be a disruptor. I would have the commercial 
whoever that commercial leader is as a counterpart to the operational leader. Top line is hard. It's not as process orientated and it takes some real outside in thinking. And I thought at this time that we would see more leadership coming from that revenue side of the coin or the revenue leadership side of the coin. And we would see more of a not partnership, but so many times we see top line leaders reporting into operational leaders, not so much at maybe the larger corporate brand level, but I thought that we would start seeing that even more on the property level, because what I know for sure is that you can't get to bottom line without top line. Yeah. That's an interesting point. I think if you get a hotel team operating on all cylinders, they tend to act as though the ops leader and the commercial leader are equals, but it's never that way in an org chart, which is interesting. Okay. So as you know, we like to make sure that our listeners come away from each episode of Top Floor with a couple of very practical, tangible tips to try in their business or their hotel. I'd love to get your thoughts on some issues that I think many hotels are facing right now. So Average rates are struggling to come back from the pandemic. And we know from history that occupancy tends to rebound much more quickly than ADR. Mm -hmm. You know, there's this old adage that I know you've heard before, and I've heard a million times before, that if you sell value rather than rate, you won't have to compete on price. This is certainly true in some circumstances. And I get the point of that old adage, but... I think a lot of hotels find themselves right now just competing at the point of sale, meaning mm -hmm. they are being chosen because they have a higher star rating or a lower rate in a price comparison on an OTA. Yep. How can you add value to price when you only interact with the guest at the point of sale? Is it even possible? It's not possible. Well... Maybe you can because you know you have a product offering that is more desirable. But at that point, at the point of sale, it's a transaction. It's a transactional sale and it's about product and price. And so many times I see that where sales and marketing and revenue management will engage at the point of sale and then try to build value. That ship is sailed. No, no, it can be done. It's so much harder. It would be so much easier if we actually engage with the customer earlier. And I don't care who that customer is. It could be, again, a group or transient or any one of our segments and, and really understand you know, the customer and what they're doing. It's fascinating to me when I work with hotels and, and they, they talk about a meeting that's coming and, and I said, so what are they doing? And they say, and it happened just a, a couple of weeks ago where it was a pharma group coming into a large hotel and somebody said, so what are they doing? What's the meeting? And they gave the pattern and they gave the name of the meeting. And they said, well, is this a product launch? And he was like, yep, yep, it's a product launch. We don't know what our customers are doing and what are they trying to achieve? Just the meeting is, is a byproduct. We have to engage with them and what are they actually doing and how can we make them bigger, better, faster, stronger? Then we can start building value. Everyone in the hotel business is on the edge of our seats waiting for business travel to come back. Do you think hotels can do anything right now to 
impact the return of business travel and sort of corporate group business meetings? Absolutely. So in that whole vein, so I'm going to give an example. Well, we should start looking at how do we engage with our top companies for us to have this time is is a I don't want to say a gift, but we should optimize this time and actually understand what Cox Automotive is doing. We should understand the different projects that are being delayed or held off because they're, you know, they're waiting rather than waiting for them to return. And then we have a price-driven sale. We should understand what JP Morgan is doing. We should understand some companies have been extremely vibrant during COVID. We have to stop thinking about the meeting and start thinking about how do we partner with people and how do we have a real customer conversation. I have a theory that I have sort of spread far and wide, which is that I don't believe business travel is completely dead. I just think our business travelers are traveling in disguise as OTA guests right now for a variety of reasons, but not least of which is that they can get a better price there. So I know that you are working on a new product for the industry that ties financial data like budgets, performance, et cetera, back to sales and marketing strategy. And my understanding is that the goal is that you want to make sure those things are aligned and generating maximum revenue. Can you talk a little bit more about that and give us an example of how it works? Yeah, absolutely. So um, it was interesting because as a practitioner, I was really trying to find a solution that would marry the financial performance or revenue projections to what we were doing to a strategy. And there was nothing out there. So I built it. And here's what we've seen is, first of all, 90% of organizations will fail if they don't have strategy. 61% of organizations don't link their action plans to actual financial strategy. And then what we've seen within our own customers is we've been able to uncover anywhere from $1.5 to $2 million just because these two systems are disparate. It's not a CRM system, right? We have a CRM system, but really a revenue strategy system or program. And kind of, if you want to think uh, TurboTax for revenue strategy, but when we work with organizations, we've been so entrenched in action plans and, and what are we doing? And here's all the things that I've done or I've accomplished. So many times we see where there's not even an overarching strategy of where we're trying to go, but yet just a list of tactics. And so, you know, it kind of goes back to, we can do a lot of things, but if we're not moving the needle, it's just kind of a fury that signifies nothing. So what this really does is it gets to say, hey, listen, of all of the segments we have, which ones are the most valuable? And by definition, what that means is which ones can we optimize and which ones have the a gross profit margin? Because a lot of times people are boohooing OTAs for obvious reasons, but actually group is the most expensive segments in our hotels. And so a lot of times that gets overlooked. So what this does is it says, hey, listen, you can win the day by just elevating these four or five segments. Then it says, okay, if these are your four or five segments or whatever that may be, then how do you get your commercial teams or that revenue trifecta around to say, rather than 
you know, the retail strategy is taken care of by revenue management group and corporate is taken care of by the sales team. And then we have some digital marketing. What the program then does is it says, Hey, of these four or five uh, most valuable segments, what is the overall strategy for that commercial team? Now, what should sales be doing in that customer buying journey? What should marketing be doing? What should pricing be doing? Rather than this really bifurcated, you're doing this, I'm doing that, and we're going to hope that we make it to the budget. This is what's interesting is of the hotels that we've been working with, we've seen a roadmap for recovery, great, well-planned roadmap for recovery as it relates to operations and the cleanliness and the guest safety during this time, which is so critical. Just as critical is having that roadmap to revenue performance, whatever that looks like for short, midterm. And what we saw is people were waiting for the recovery versus putting something together to create some momentum. What is one prediction you have for the future of top-line revenue in hotels? My hope is that this isn't true. (laughs) I hope. But we saw it post 9-11 and we saw it post-financial crisis is that OTAs become more and more evasive and the cost of acquisition goes up and profitability goes down. That our sales teams and our marketing teams become even more transactional and are it becomes a product and price driven sale. What I hope is that there's some really great thinking out there. And I love our industry so much, yet so many times we're caught in legacy and nostalgia. And so bringing some outside in thinking to really challenge the status quo and to pivot. And, and what I see is people, we hear it all the time that they need to pivot but they're not sure what to pivot to. And the leaders aren't sure what to pivot to. And and so, uh, you know, what I see is if they're not sure what to pivot to, you can't give away what you don't have. And so then we sit in a situation of stalemate or status quo, and we wait for the return and that becomes diminishing returns as it relates to NOI and profitability. There are answers out there. We're just going to have to be comfortable Comfortable with being a little bit uncomfortable and inviting outside in thinking. Kate Berta, thank you so much for being here. Your tips and wisdom will give hotels a lot to think about. And I really appreciate you riding up to the top floor with me. But before we go, we are going to head back down to the loading dock because that is where all of the best stories get told. going down. I know that you have a great story to tell on the loading dock. Oh, yes. I don't even have to think hard on this one. Oh, so um, I worked in the fun city of Miami (laughs) and I was MOD. I don't even know, do they have MODs anymore? I don't think... Yeah. And 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 I always got a kick out of it because I was MOD, but we had a huge security staff. I was called up and they said, hey, we need you on the 10th floor or the 12th floor. I can't remember which one it was. And uh, we have an incident. And of course, in true Miami fashion, uh, there was a, a woman that was uh, had been overserved and enjoying the city a bit too much and was completely naked and shooting people with the fire extinguisher as, as they got off the... <laughs> They got off the elevator. (laughs) 
say that. Oh my God. What did you do? Well, I think, I think actually in this case, why security called me for backup was because she was female and, and I grabbed a robe from whatever else and just wrapped her up in it and we, we escorted her down. But, but I think it was like that reaction that you took care of everything. And then, and I think it, we all like, you know, debriefed on the loading dock afterwards of like, okay, what? Okay. Hold on. <laughs> and then what and it inspired her. You have to wonder. <laughs> like, it just sounds like a good idea. This sounds like a great, I, I always got a kick out of it too. You know, I think, you know, the sexiness of Miami and, and who knows, maybe it was the flamenco dancing or whatever else, but people tend to over, overindulge and, and, and get naked. And that but, night uh, was on fire. <laughs> and if it was on fire, she had the fire extinguisher. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh, that is so great. Some of my best stories are from the long forgotten MOD shifts. And oh. I know exactly what you mean. Like me, I'm in charge. What? Wait, well, I'm the wrong choice. Yeah. How about the six, five guy that looks like, yes, I think he evokes a little bit more fear than me. Oh my God. Well, that is hilarious. Thank you so much for spilling the beans on the loading dock (laughs) and for joining us on top floor. I hope you will be back. Oh, I will. Thank you so much, Susan. It was such a pleasure. Thanks for joining us today. You can find the show notes at topfloorpodcast.com forward slash two. This episode is sponsored in part by She Has a Deal. She Has a Deal offers inspiration and education to achieve the goal of increasing the number of women hotel owners and developers. With pitch competitions for both early career and experienced women, programs channel the power of collaboration and mentorship by connecting experts and newbies, experienced investors, and hotel operations leaders. Learn more at shehasadeal.com. Top Floor is a production of Long Live Lodging. Our elevated elevator music was composed and performed by John Albano, designed by Neha Patel and Jason Lum. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues after you leave us a five-star review. You can subscribe to Top Floor on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. Thanks for listening to the Top Floor Podcast at www.topfloorpodcast.com. Have a hospitality marketing question? Reach us at 850-404-9630 to be featured in a future episode. 